On JPAM's Closer Look, we will be talking to leading authors published in the Journal of Policy Analysis and Management on timely topics such as healthcare, education, immigration reform, and economics. Welcome to the very first Closer Look podcast. I'm your host, Seth Gershenson of American University. We are setting the bar high with our first guest, Bridget Terry Long. Bridget is Dean of the Harvard Graduate School of Education, where she is also the Saris Professor of Economics and Education. We are going to be discussing her recently published article in JPAM, co-authored with Benjamin Castleman and Zachary Mabel, that looks at how financial aid affects STEM course enrollment and graduation rates. So without further ado, I'd like to jump in and ask, uh, you know, this is an important novel investigation of how need-based financial aid might affect college students' STEM coursework and degrees. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you found. First of all, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, wonderful to be able to have this conversation on the first podcast. So this study that I've done with uh, Ben and and Zach is really looking at the impact of need-based financial aid. And if you think about the longer literature, we have lots of studies and known for a while that financial aid can impact who goes to college and even where they go to college. Um, And other work I've done along with others have shown that it can influence persistence. But here we're looking at specific choices, academic choices, and in particular uh, STEM coursework. And what we found is this need-based financial aid program, which wasn't even targeting particular academic choices, actually eligibility for this program was associated with increasing completion in STEM fields. So it seems to support the notion that additional financial aid actually helps support students uh, to take more courses, complete them, and, and stay in STEM majors. Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting that the program wasn't specifically targeting STEM or course selection. But let's take a a step back for a minute and let me ask you, what exactly is a STEM degree and why is it important to think about how students select into and pursue and complete STEM degrees? Yeah, sure. You know, as more people have gone into higher education, we are starting to understand their great differences in, in college majors, and we're seeing more and more data documenting the fact that the return to different kinds of degrees and majors and certificates actually varies. So there's been increasing attention in the last decade on STEM fields, or science, technology, engineering, and math fields, which tend to be more technical in nature. And other data suggests that these STEM jobs have increased at a much faster pace than non-STEM fields over the last several decades. And there have been reports for, uh, and thinking about competitiveness for the United States, of needing more trained, skilled workers in STEM fields in order to stay competitive. Right. And in terms of why we see the results that we do in your study, is there any evidence that STEM degrees are somehow more costly, either from the student's point of view to complete or from the university's point of view to offer? Because I'm just trying to think about sort of why would the need-based financial aid affect course selection and, and STEM selection in particular? 
So STEM fields are oftentimes more costly for institutions to offer because the sciences require labs, faculty salaries are different, but that's from the institutional point of view. We were really thinking about this from the student point of view, and some of our early thoughts about this were actually driven by personal experiences. My husband uh, was an engineering student at the university we both attended, and I know that he had additional courses, labs, lab materials, books that were more expensive than for those of us who were economics majors or in the social sciences and humanities more generally. And when we looked at some data nationally, we found that this actually was the case kind of across the board for a number of of the more science and technical courses. Beyond that, if you are going to go into a STEM field, these kinds of majors and faculty are much more likely to be at more selective or public flagship institutions, which in and of themselves tend to cost more than more open, comprehensive, less selective institutions, which again, don't have as many STEM majors and STEM courses. So this is also related, we think, to institutional choice. Okay. So yeah, so there's definitely different costs across institutions, but that's an interesting point that even within an institution, even if tuition is the same across majors, there's going to be those extra costs like lab equipment and maybe extra books and so on. And this need-based financial aid program doesn't restrict how that money gets spent at all. That's correct? That is correct. So we have done some other work, Ben and I, just looking at the impact on persistence in general, because no, this, this need-based aid program was not tied to particular academic choices. Okay. And speaking of the grant itself, we're looking at the Florida Student Assistant Grant. And how much, how much money did that provide to students in a given year? And then overall, how would you say that the program affected total student aid that these students received? Sure. So the Florida Student Access Grant, at the time that we were studying, gave students or they were eligible to receive up to $1,300. And at the time, so this is the 2000 to 2001 school year, it covered over half of the tuition and fees at the public university. Now, students could receive it multiple years. It was not guaranteed, again, awarded based on need. But overall, it increased aid about $1,750. Okay. And, and in the grand scheme of uh, higher ed finance, is that a lot of money? It's always going to be a, a relative term. It would be a lot of money if it were something that we were offering to millions of students. But if you think about an individual student budget, I think we have been somewhat surprised that that amount of money over the course of multiple years could have such a dramatic impact on choosing a major or whether you persist in college at all. Okay. So from a student's point of view, when you're looking at the cost of room and board and tuition and the whole thing, $1,750 is, is a relatively small share of that student's costs of going to college. Yes, I think it's going to be interpreted differently by different students. Right. But one quick thing I would emphasize that was important about this, the Florida Student Access Grant, is that it was on top of the Pell Grant. So the way that we thought about this study was less so you either get no money or you all of a sudden are now getting this $1,300 from the Florida Student Access Grant. What it actually did is you got your Pell Grant and then this basically increased the amount of your Pell Grant. So you're going from getting a $3,000 Pell Grant or something like that and having an additional amount put on top of that. And this is important in terms of thinking about where are we in the distribution of students and who are we influencing. It's not the students who are getting 
no money. What it is, is it's increasing needy students to get additional money. That's kind of the experiment to think about. Right. And on top of, from a base of a $3,000 Pell Grant, $1,750 is a, a sizable increase for sure. Yes, a sizable increase in sir. yes. Yeah. Okay. And now I'll ask a, a relatively tough question. You know, if you had the broad authority to redesign this program, would you consider changing the amount of aid that was delivered to students? So, you know, that's always going to be a hard question. I think it's thinking a bit about some of the trade-offs that are inherent in these choices and in, in policy design. Again, what I think this this study was trying to answer and look at is what would happen if we increase the Pell Grant or any kind of financial aid? Because again, this was on top of other other financial sources. And so the debates we oftentimes have is should we increase the Pell Grant? But with institutions, with governments, with communities, with limited resources, sometimes the decision that you're actually making is, I can give a lot of money to few people, or I can give a little bit of money to many people. And so really sketching out the trade-offs of uh, you want to give just enough that you might influence decisions and enough support so that students persist to degree completion, but you don't want to give so much when you could actually be refunneling that money to other students. And so one study is not going to answer that. I think it's looking at the larger literature, kind of understanding the trade-offs between these different choices. Right. And and speaking of the benefits of the program, you know, your study that here is specifically looking at, at STEM course taking and completion, but presumably this program affected other outcomes as well. And I think you mentioned that that you and Professor Castleman are, are looking at some other outcomes. Uh, yes. Well, we have an earlier paper that looks at the overall effect of this need-based grant aid on persistence getting at questions of, yes, we know financial aid impacts enrollment and whether or not you're choosing a four-year or a community college. But we also find that it even when it is not uh, renewed, even when it's only received one year, that it does have an impact on credit accumulation over time and the likelihood of completing a degree. Yeah, well, that's really, like we said earlier, it's pretty amazing that this relatively small amount in absolute terms of $1,750 is having those kind of, of impacts on students. And related to this, this other idea we've been talking about just now, about you know needing multiple studies to really sort of understand how students respond to aid, it is worth keeping in mind that this was a study of a, a program in Florida and necessarily of, of Florida students what, if anything, does the study say about how a similar program might be implemented and how it might work out elsewhere in the country? Yes. So the question of external validity is a big one. And as researchers, it's always important for us to be clear about who we're studying and who's in our population and how that might or might not fit uh, to the more general population. You know, Florida is a very big state. It's a very diverse state. It represents a lot of the country in many ways but also need to keep in mind that its higher education system has particular characteristics to it. Even just the geographical variation in the state, whether you live in the northern part of the state or the southern, and how close you are to a post-secondary institution. Particularly when the study was done, this was, again, the 2000 and 2001 school year, it was capturing a particular context, and so you have to be careful of that. 
I think as we now fast forward to current time and we think more broadly, I think the study does, you know, a great job of having a diverse population and certainly the population of potential college students has grown and increased over the last two decades. But there now are lots of other changes in terms of just how much tuition is relative to family income. Now there are new delivery models with online education that didn't exist at the time. There are other things that would influence choices and outcomes and so forth that you'd have to take into account. But we do take the study as being some evidence that financial aid has much broader effects than what we originally imagined, including here, you know, investing in in the STEM fields, which, you know, has been critical not only for individuals, but thinking from a national point of view. Right. And given the diversity in Florida, did you find that the effects varied much across different types of students or students of different backgrounds in the state? Unfortunately, we weren't able to investigate and pull apart the subgroups as much as we would have liked, particularly with this paper, because there are real differences across subgroups in terms of who goes into a STEM major. So, for example, looking in terms of racial diversity or gender diversity, you know, the sample sizes drop off tremendously very quickly. So in this study, we really had to keep the data pulled together. Okay. So at the end of the day, though, we find that eligibility for this financial aid program increased STEM credit completion by 20 to 35 percent. That sounds like a big effect. Is aid of this type enough to boost STEM enrollments to where we would like them to be or need them to be? Or should other policies and interventions be considered as complements to this type of need-based approach? So I think the important thing we want to make sure we're doing is supporting good decision-making and follow-through. It's a little bit hard for me to say what's the magical number we must reach, but we certainly don't want to be wasting the great potential of students who could exceed and excel in STEM fields for you know reasons that are outside of their control, where policy could actually make a difference. I think when we first approached the study and thought about STEM fields, and there's been a lot of work in this area about how to in- increase the number of students progressing and completing degrees in STEM, most of the work has really focused more on academic preparation, which I think and know is actually vitally important. It's also focused on issues such as support, role models, culture, and so forth. Given what I alluded to earlier about differences in the propensity of different kinds of students to go into STEM. So those other factors are are absolutely important. I think this was a surprise that money alone without those other kinds of initiatives actually made a difference. And I would really love to see when you combine money plus academic supports plus other kinds of supports, you know, what kind of synergistic effects might be possible. But it's wonderful to know that, you know, part of this, or maybe it's sad to know that part of this is we do have students with great potential and interests who could do well in these courses, but for reasons of affordability and money, just, you know, don't persist in these areas. Right. Well, I think you just hit a, a fantastic idea for future researchers and policymakers to investigate, which is how a multi-treatment program of, of need-based aid and some of those other supports might work in concert to uh, even further boost STEM achievement and enrollment. So I think that's a... Uh, an item for future listeners of the podcast to pursue. We're about out of time, 
And I've had a, a great discussion and learned a lot here. Our guest has been Bridget Terry Long, Dean of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Thank you again for taking the time to talk with us today about your, your study. Is there anything else about the paper that you'd like our listeners to think about or know? No, again, thank you for having me on this program. It's wonderful that APAM is doing this. You know, I hope this is a helpful example of a, of a piece of research that has both rigor, great data, but is motivated by an important question that has lots of policy implications and real-world institutional implications in, in thinking about how we improve outcomes. So thank you again. Bridget, it was fascinating to hear about what inspired your research, as well as the policy implications of your work on the effects of need-based financial aid on STEM enrollments and completion. We look forward to seeing what you do next. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of JPAM, the Journal of Policy Analysis and Management, in conjunction with American University's School of Public Affairs. Please follow us on the APAM website and search for the JPAM podcast.